We're continuing in Matthew's gospel this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 18. God willing, we will finish this chapter today, but I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18, to the, the last verses there, Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. If you need a Bible, there are pew Bibles that you can use, but I do encourage you who are believers in the Lord Jesus to have a personal Bible to carry with you and have open, and if you need a personal Bible, then tell me and we'll get you one today so that you can go home and have a personal Bible for yourself. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord... How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have, him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Father, we pray that your Spirit would so work in us today that we would feel mercy again. Lord, we, we can get so used to the gospel, so used to knowing that we're forgiven, so used to the old, old story that we, we forget the magnitude of what you've done for us. We forget the, the torture of the angry Father, that we deserve. We, we can forget how amazing it is that You have saved us and that You don't give us what we deserve. And Father, we, 
we pray that that would not happen. We, we pray that by Your Spirit, Lord, You would, you would supernaturally work in our hearts and minds today that, that we would be moved to joy inexpressible because of what You've done for us. Father, You, you have to do that in us by Your Spirit. So we, we pray, God, that we would, we would see You and Your holiness, Your righteousness, Your purity. We would see our sin and and our uncleanness and we would see the the mercy you've had in us in Christ and be amazed by grace that your mercy is is more to cover all of our sins that we're not going to get what we deserve that no, no matter how bad life is right now for us whatever our circumstances are whatever our losses whatever our pains whatever our sufferings Lord that we deserve a trillion times worse because of our sin and you have not given that to us that that we 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 should be amazed oh god that we we sit or stand in a a, a cool a relatively cool place today with shelter that we were able to put food in our bellies this morning that we are at rest right now that we have the unbelievable privilege, Lord, of hearing Jesus' words, of, of having His words in our own language that, that somehow, some way in our lives, we've been introduced to Jesus Christ when millions, Lord, have lived and died having never heard what we hear. This is amazing grace to everyone in this room. Father, we pray You would help us to feel that and get that. And we would never get over it that we would put a song in our hearts, joy in our hearts because of the amazing grace You've shown us. And so help us, God. We need You. Teach us. And make us a loving and forgiving and gracious and patient people just like You are. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. As I have said over and over again as we've studied chapter 18... It's about how, chapter 18 is about how we relate to one another in the church, how we are to love one another in the church, how we are to deal with, with sins and offenses and temptations in the church, and how to forgive one another in the church. And last time we were in these this chapter, we looked at verses 15 through 20, where Jesus showed us how to pursue a straying brother or sister in love and for their own good when they're caught in sin. And we come to verses 21 through 35 today where Jesus teaches us that God's lavish, infinite, measureless love and forgiveness for us is the key to our continual forgiveness of others who sin against us. It reminded me of a title that Spurgeon gave one of his sermons on the prodigal son that was, I'm sure, controversial in his day. People, people, some people don't like Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. How could you call God prodigal? The prodigal son, we have all these pictures in our mind of what the prodigal son did. How can you call God the prodigal God? Well, he's just copying Spurgeon who titled his sermon on the prodigal son, Prodigal Love. Prodigal love for the prodigal son. Prodigal love 
for the prodigal son. Prodigal is basically a person who spends money in a recklessly extravagant way. There's a song, a popular song out that talks about the reckless love of God and people debate whether that's how you should talk about God's love. Is God's love reckless? Well, Spurgeon called God's love prodigal. Take it up with Spurgeon. Prodigal means extravagant. <laughs> it means lavish. And the prodigal son went out and lived in this, this lavish, extravagantly sinful way. But God's love is more extravagant, more lavish to cover all of our sins. Prodigal love for the prodigal sons. Prodigal love for the prodigal church, only Baptist church. God's love is lavish. It's infinite. It's measureless love. And, and we see this in this parable today. I mean, some, some people in, in Jesus' day, when they heard what the king did, this king is crazy. How could you let some guy get into that much debt in the first place? And then how could you just forgive that kind of debt? You're not going to stay a king very long by forgiving that kind of debt. That's prodigal kingship. That's too lavish. Too much mercy. Too much, too much, too much. Oh, our God is a prodigal God. He is a lavish God. He is an extravagant God. He, he shows mercy, so much mercy that we don't understand. We don't understand. That's, that's what this uh, passage is about. And that if we get that, if we get the, the kind of lavish, crazy love that God has for us, there is nothing anybody can do to us that we can't forgive. Because it can't compare to what God has done in Christ to forgive us. The greatest offenses that anyone could ever do to you on earth, no matter how many times, cannot compare to the love and forgiveness and mercy that God has shown you in Christ. That, that's the point of what Jesus is saying. No matter what they've done to you, I don't care how bad it is, how unspeakable, and how many times they've done it to you, it cannot compare. There's no comparison with what God has forgiven you in Christ. Absolutely none. And so we forgive. We forgive. Last time we were in Matthew 18, we saw that Jesus Christ, the God-man, is present with His gathered church and He gives His church the authority to declare who is and who is not trusting Him and living according to His commands and thus who is and who is not a part of His church. Today, we see that Jesus Christ, the God-man, commands us to forgive from our hearts all those who sin against us for as many times as they sin against us without limit because God has lavishly and lovingly forgiven us without limit an infinite debt of sin. That's the thesis statement of the sermon. If you need thesis statements... Jesus Christ, the God-man, commands us to forgive from our hearts all those who sin against us for as many a times as they sin against us without limit because God has lavishly and lovingly, we might say prodigally, 
loved us and forgiven us without limit, an infinite debt of sin. I heard one pastor say, you are never more like God than when you forgive. You are never more like God than when you forgive someone who sinned against you. And you are never less like God than when you refuse to forgive someone. And he's basing that on Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 44 through 45. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. As we meditate upon this passage together, you ought to be thinking, who am I holding a grudge against right now in my life? Who am I harboring bitterness toward in my life? Who am I not forgiving in my life? Who have I said, I could never forgive them for doing that? I could never forgive them. Beloved, that should never come out of the mouth of a Christian. I could never forgive them for doing that? Well, then you're going to go to hell. That's what Jesus says in this passage. If you say, I could never forgive them for what they did to me, Jesus is saying to you today, well, then you're going to go to hell. Who are you not forgiving? Who are you holding a grudge against? Who are you angry with? Who do you refuse to speak to? God's Word needs to land on us today. If, 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 if you have any of those people in your life, God's Word needs to land on you today such that you taste of His mercy towards you and you forgive them this week. Point number one, Peter asked a question about the limits of His mercy. Peter asked a question about the limits of, of the mercy that he should show to others. Look at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, Notice, beloved, Peter asked questions. Peter asked questions, and I just want to highlight, this is a good thing. It is a good thing to ask questions. Do you know anybody who asks a bunch of questions about God and His Word? Well, you ought to give thanks to God for them. Because you know a lot more about God and His Word because they ask questions. And they know a lot more about God and His Word because they ask questions. Peter asks questions. And, 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 and people who ask questions get answers, one pastor said. They grow in knowledge and understanding. Do you have questions, young people? Do you have questions? Do you have questions about the faith? Questions about the Bible? Questions about uh, uh, why you believe what you believe? Why your parents believe what they believe? Ask questions. We want you to ask questions. We want this to be a place where you're free to ask questions, where you don't feel like you're judged for asking questions, but where you can freely ask so that you can get good, solid, biblical, Christ-centered answers. We should give thanks for people like Peter who ask questions. And Peter is asking because Jesus has been teaching his disciples about how to deal with a sinning brother. Remember, that's how this section started in Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. 
Peter is wondering if there is a limit to the mercy that he should have on sinners. How many times do I allow a brother to sin against me before I say, that's it. No more mercy. No more forgiveness. Jesus, I want to know, how many times do I need to do this? There's, there must be a limit, right? I mean, we, we just can't keep forgiving. I wonder if this has ever happened to you. The same person does the same thing over and over and over again, and in your mind, you're like, that's enough. They've reached the limit. They've reached my limit. And so, sorry, and have nothing to do with them. Maybe it's even the same sin. Maybe it's even the same sin in the same day. Jesus says in Luke, if they sin against you seven times in a day, in one day, I can imagine that testing our patience. They keep doing it over and over and over again, and Peter is wondering, when is the limit to when I say no more mercy? And Peter probably thinks he's being quite generous. Up to seven times. Seven, the, the number of, of completion, the number of perfection. Many of the commentators commented that the, the rabbinic tradition, the, 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 the Jewish leadership tradition of that day said that you must forgive three times, but after that, no more. So Jesus is doubling that rabbinic tradition. Okay, three times two is six, and I'm going to add one more to make it complete up to seven times. Jesus, I'm sure I'm being lavish here. We'll forgive him up to seven times. And notice, this is a brother who is sinning against Peter. This is a fellow follower of Jesus who is sinning against Peter. He's asking this question about. Again, beloved, remember, Christians still sin. And those who most often sin against you are people who are closest to you. Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, fellow church members, Friends, we're going to sin against each other. Those you are closest to are the ones that you're going to sin against and you need to hear this about how to handle it, how many times to handle it. So that's Peter's question. Point number two, Jesus commands Peter and us to show limitless mercy. Jesus commands Peter and us to show limitless mercy. Look at verse 22. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Now just a, a brief moment about what Jesus does not mean. We are not obligated to keep trusting people who repeatedly show themselves untrustworthy. If someone, I'll give you an example. If someone keeps stealing from you in your own home, you can forgive them, you, you, you should forgive them, you must forgive them, but you are under no obligation to let them in your house again or to allow them to be in your house unattended until they build that trust back. In other words, there are and should be consequences for sin. There should be consequences for sin even after love and forgiveness are extended. Love, in fact, will enforce consequences for sin. 
Some people think they're so loving because they just let people sin, sin, and sin and never do anything about it. Oh, that's okay, whatever. That's not love. <laughs> love forgives, love shows mercy, but love also has consequences for sin. God is love and God gives consequences for sin even though He forgives us. Again, we need a biblical-shaped definition and picture of what love is. Sin has consequences. That family that so powerfully, remember Dylan Roof who shot up that church in Charleston, right? And, 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 and right after it happened, the family of many of those dead, nine people killed, those, that family said, I forgive you. Mr. Roof, we forgive you because Jesus has forgiven us. You killed my mom, you killed my dad, you killed my parents, but I forgive you. Because they're Christians. That's what Christians do. They follow Jesus. That's not radical Christianity. That's basic. Christianity 101. We forgive. They kill my mom, they kill my dad, I forgive. Because Jesus forgave me for something worse. But he should still die. Dylan Roof should still die for what he did. There's consequences for sin, even though forgiveness is given. Jesus is also not saying to do the multiplication, so 70 times 7, 490, and then when you get to 491, no more mercy. That's not what he's saying. What does Jesus mean? Jesus is commanding us to keep forgiving Keep loving, keep showing mercy as long as it takes every time. We are not to hold grudges. We are not to be bitter. We are not to hate others. We are to love our enemies and pray for them and hope for reconciliation and work for reconciliation like the prodigal son's father. We have a disposition toward the person who sinned against us of love and, and compassion and, and care and forgiveness, and we want them to repent. We want them to be saved. We want them to turn to Christ. Luke 17, 3 through 7, Jesus says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, seven times in the day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. <laughs> That's hard to imagine, isn't it? Seven times in one day they sin against you, and seven times they come and say, I repent. And I think our flesh is all out going to say, no way. But what does Jesus say? Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. And there are all these discussions about can you really forgive if people don't repent? Well, you know, to have full reconciliation, the person has to repent. But, but we're to have a, whatever happens, however the sinner responds, we are to have a disposition of love and mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness in our hearts. Just like Jesus did when He cried out on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We are to forgive. Jesus commands us in this passage as followers of Him to have limitless mercy and forgiveness. 
toward people who sin against us. Now what? <laughs> Praise God that Jesus doesn't say, just do it. Just do it. Jesus doesn't tell us to just stop it when we sin. I was talking with some of the brothers about a funny video uh, on YouTube with Bob Newhart uh, where he's giving counseling to this lady who's afraid of being buried alive in a box and she comes to him for counseling and he just says, stop it. Stop it. You don't want to go through life being afraid you're going to be buried alive in a box. That's a terrible way to live. Just stop that. And she goes on to share all these other uh, problems she has in her life. And for every one of them, he just says, well, stop it. Stop it. That's terrible. You don't want to live like that. Stop that. that. That's the only advice that he keeps giving her. And she goes through issue, through issue, through issue, through issue. And he says, oh, okay, I, I think I've got the picture here. I know, I know what to tell you. I've got like 12 words. You write these down. This will fix everything. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. Jesus doesn't just tell us to stop it when He commands us to do hard things. He, 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 he doesn't tell us to just do it. He, he actually gives us reasons and, and, and shows us the, the, the great power from which this limitless mercy and forgiveness should, should, should arise, should come from. And He tells a parable about the kingdom of heaven to show us where this kind of lavish grace and mercy and forgiveness comes from. And that's the third point. The power to show endless mercy comes from the fact that we've been shown endless mercy. And he tells this parable about a king and the, and the king represents God, our God. And we are like the, the slave, the servant in the parable who have been forgiven so much. And so let, let's read this again together, verses 23 through 34. This is the power from which we can forgive with limitless mercy. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold and his, with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So in this parable, we see a servant who owes the king an amount of money that he is unable to pay even in hundreds of thousands of lifetimes. 
10,000 talents would be like billions, like several billions of dollars today. 200,000 years of wages. R.T. France comments that the talent was the highest unit of currency and 10,000 was the highest Greek numeral. So, so for us, I, I look this up, there, there used to be a $100,000 bill. Did you know that? It was never actually put in circulation. It had, I think, Hoover on, 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 on the, the, the $100,000 bill, but it was never put in circulation. The highest uh, bill that was ever put in circulation in, the, uh, uh, in public was a $10,000 bill. But all that, the $10,000 bill, $5,000 bill, $1,000 bill, $500 bill, those were all done away with around the 60s. But, 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 but when he says talent, talent was like the highest. So, so like a $100,000 bill and 10000 was the highest numeral, the highest value. So it would be like zillions for us. Right? So, so, uh, th- th- this is an unbelievable, unpayable, almost unimaginable kind of debt that this servant owed to this king. And he can't pay it. He can't pay it, obviously. So, the king is going to sell the servant and his family uh, as a punishment and to at least get something. He ain't gonna get much. No, nothing compared to the debt, but, but as a punishment and, 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 uh, to get a little bit back, he's gonna sell this slave and his family. And so what does the servant do? He begs the king for mercy. He begs the king for mercy. And amazingly, astonishingly, as I said, the people of Jesus' day would hear this and be like, this, this is crazy. First of all, how could the king allow such a debt to, 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 to happen? And then how could the king ever even consider forgiving this debt? But the king has mercy. After the servant pleads and begs for mercy, the king shows mercy and forgives the debt. And not only forgives the debt, he lets the servant and his family go free. They're free. One commentator says the poor man owes the king more money than the whole country paid in taxes at the time. People would wonder, how could you get into such a debt? And how could the king allow such a debt? And yet the king does this prodigal mercy and forgives and forgives. Then the servant who was just forgiven all this debt. Now, you, you, what, what is it? What is it? Have you ever tasted this kind of mercy? Have you ever tasted this? What, what, what effect does that have on your life when you taste that kind of mercy? Maybe, maybe you're a student, right? And, and you, 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 you failed this test. I remember my first chemistry test in college. I got a 48. And I was never you. I was a straight A student in high school. I wasn't used to getting 48s out of 100 on tests. This was quite humbling for me. I got a 48. Whew. I thought I was dead. What do you, what do you do when you fail a test like that? And then you, you go to the, the, the professor and, and let's make it even worse. You didn't study. You didn't study. 
And, and, and so you sort of know, I deserve this. I deserve this. I blew this off. And you go to the, but you go to the teacher and you beg, oh, professor, this is going to ruin my GPA. This, this, I'm trying to get in to, to grad school and I'm not going to get in if you let this, this grade uh, stand. Is there anything I can do, professor? Is there anything I can do? And the professor says, I'll let you retake the test. And when you hear those words, you, 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 you start playing ode to joy in your, your mind. You're so happy, you're so thankful that, that they showed you mercy. They showed you mercy. Do you have events in your life like that where you were about to die, about to suffer, about to lose something, about to fail, and then something changed, and everything was right, everything was good, everything was peaceful. There's this joy, this happiness in your heart that just spontaneously arises. It's not like, I am going to be happy about this now. No. What? Yes. For some of you, it's sports. Your, your, your team is in the Super Bowl and they're about to lose. And then the, the team, for some reason, the opposing team throws a pass instead of, instead of run it from the three-yard line and your team intercepts and they win the game. They win the Super Bowl. And you're from the lowest to lows and now the highest of highs. Joy. Joy is in your heart when we feel mercy like that. There's a joy that comes into our hearts that, that makes other things just seem small and irrelevant. You know, whereas before the kids saying this and doing that and doing that that gets on our nerves, it just doesn't get on our nerves anymore because God showed mercy. Beloved, this is how this servant should respond. He, he, he has just been rescued from a lifetime of, 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 of servitude to pay back this debt and, 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 and being sold to who knows what, his whole family, possibly being separated from his family, and the king has had mercy. There, there should be a joy erupting in his heart, erupting in his soul, a happiness that none can comprehend. And, and, and it's, it's like, you know, I think of that movie, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. What is that movie called at Christmas time people watch? The, the, what is it? The Christmas Carol, and he's this Scrooge guy that, 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 that's so crotchety and stingy and doesn't love people, and he has this epiphany. He has this epiphany, and, and afterwards he's just going around happy and smiling and joyful and buying presents and doing all these things. The effect of mercy. God's mercy on us should affect us that way. The way that we live, the way that we view life, the way that we're generous, the way that we're giving, the way that we love others with our words, the way that we're not easily angered, the way that we have patience, the way that we have compassion, the way that we go through life with this buoyant joy because we have been forgiven the greatest debt that we could ever be forgiven of in Christ. That's what this servant should have seen, but he didn't. He didn't. He, he, he goes out to another servant of, uh, who, who owes him money. 
This servant who's just been forgiven all this debt finds a fellow servant who owes him a much lesser amount of money and he seizes the servant and chokes him and tells him to pay me what you owe me. I mean, he's starting out bad. Choking him? Pay me what you owe me. So what does this servant do? Well, he does what that servant did to the king. The servant begs for mercy as well. But the servant does not show mercy and puts this servant in prison until he pays him his tiny little debt. This servant refuses to show mercy to another servant who owes him a tiny debt compared to what he owed the king. The servant owed him a hundred denarii. He owed the king 10,000 talents. There are 6,000 denarii in only one talent. So this servant's debt is one six hundred thousandth of the debt that the king was owed and was forgiven. Get what Jesus is saying, brothers and sisters. Get that. Jesus doesn't ask about, well, Peter, what did they do to you? (laughs) What sin did they commit? How bad was it? Jesus doesn't get into that. He, he, he's saying it does not matter what they sinned against you, how they sinned against you, how bad what they did to you was. In comparison with what the king forgave, it is nothing. It's nothing. Do you get that analogy for us? It doesn't matter what someone's done to you, beloved, in this life. And you can name the most horrific sins. And there are some bad things people do to one another in this life. Unspeakable things. Things that cause great trauma. Things that are unspeakable. But Jesus says in the Word of God, compared to what you've been forgiven in Christ, it's nothing. It's nothing. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. Because you've sinned against the infinite God. You've sinned against the infinite holy God. And He's forgiven you. How can you not forgive your brother when they sin against you? But this servant doesn't do that. This servant doesn't get that. The servant refuses to show mercy. And the king is then told about what this servant did. And, 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 and the king says in, in verses 32 through 34, you wicked servant. You wicked servant. The king tells this servant what he is, what these actions show about his heart. You are wicked. You refuse to forgive this tiny little debt compared to what I forgave you. You are wicked. This action reveals your heart. This action reveals who you are. Beloved, this is what people are when they say, I could never forgive that. I could never forgive what they did to me. You're a wicked servant if you say that. God is saying to you, you are a wicked servant. If those words come out of your mouth, I could never forgive that. You're wicked. God says that's wicked. He says, you're a wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. 
And some of you have a more correct translation that says in anger, the master delivered him to the tortures. The tortures. That's a better translation. The NIV says the jailers to be tortured. The king ain't playing. <laughs> D.A. Carson comments, when the servant shows himself unforgiving toward a fellow servant, the king calls him wicked and turns him over to the tortures, not merely jailers. NIV has turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. The word reminds us of earlier warnings in this chapter. In verses 6 and 8 through 9, the servant is to be tortured until he pays back all that he owes, which he can never do. Beloved, this is a picture of hell for the hearers of this gospel. In the, in the anger of God, the anger of the king, he turns him over to be tortured until he pays the whole amount which he will never be able to do. This is a picture of everlasting hell and torture where there's pain and suffering under God's wrath. And it reminds us of what Jesus has spoken about in Matthew 8, 6 and 8 through 9. Whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Verse 8, and if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye and than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Carson again says, Jesus sees no incongruity in the actions of a heavenly Father who forgives so bountifully and punishes so ruthlessly. And neither should we. Indeed, it is precisely because He is a God of such compassion and mercy that He cannot possibly accept as His those devoid of compassion and mercy. Jesus again gives us a terrifying picture of hell. I was speaking with a friend of mine uh, the past couple of weeks and he had a surgery and... Uh, the surgery, after the surgery, he was in constant pain of a kind that I don't think he's ever felt before for two to three days, and he was on painkillers. And when he was describing to me the excruciating pain, and you can think of, think of pains in your own life. It could be an emotional pain, it could be a physical pain when you felt this pain, and one theologian said it's a good thing for us as human beings that when we feel physical pain to be reminded of the pains of hell. And I was talking to my friend, bro, that just scares me about hell because hell is going to be like that pain but infinitely worse and it won't be three days. It will never end. It will never end. Ever. Like ever. Like after a billion years, you're no closer to the end than when you started. That's what Jesus is describing for us here. To be tortured under the anger of God forever and ever and ever. Why would I describe that in, in a sermon that highlights the mercy of God? 
Well, because Jesus says it. That's one good reason for the preacher to preach it. But beloved, I'm convinced you won't be elated with the mercy of God until you deeply tremble over the fires of hell. You won't get it. You just won't get it. You won't skip out of here today if you don't get what you've been saved from. And that's one of the points Jesus is making in this parable. The great debt that we owe. The great sin debt that we owe to God. The great punishment that we deserve. And yet, God has forgiven us in Christ. You will not be tortured forever. Because Jesus took that torture for you if you're in Christ. Beloved, that will put a spring in your step. That will put a spring in your step. And, and even on the worst day of your life, when you remember that, what you deserve, and what you've been saved from, God will fill your heart with joy. You will be sorrowful yet always rejoicing if you get this, if you tremble at the fire of hell and then see God's mercy who says to you, not guilty, not guilty, I forgive you, you're saved. Vodi Bauckham summarizes this parable in four points and I added a fifth. Knowing the great magnitude of your sin against God is a key to you giving true forgiveness to others. Knowing the great magnitude of your sin against God is a key to true forgiveness and forgiving others. Second, knowing God's holiness and greatness in the light of your sin against God is a key to true forgiveness and, and showing true forgiveness. Three, knowing the amazing love and patience and mercy and forgiveness of God in Christ for you in spite of your sin is a key to true forgiveness. People sometimes say God's love is, is unconditional and one writer for CEF says it's even better than that. It's contra-conditional. God's love is, is contra-conditional because all, all the, what, what, what we deserve is to be tortured forever in hell and, 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 and God shows us mercy and love anyway. It's contra-conditional. It's more than unconditional. Knowing for, knowing God's perfect justice on the cross and in hell is a key to true forgiveness. Knowing that through the cross God has saved us from what we deserve in hell is a key to true forgiveness. So I want to ask you this question, if you're here this morning, especially if you're not a believer, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to ask you this question, have you cried out to God to have mercy on you? Have you done that? Have you, have you come to terms that, that you deserve God's justice, that you deserve God's wrath, that you deserve God's hell. 
and that you don't deserve his mercy, that all you can do is beg. And have you come and, and cried out to God for mercy? Do you notice how many times it's highlighted in our passage that they cried for mercy? Not once, not twice, but three times. That's highlighted. Verse 26. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Verse 29. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. And verse 32. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Friend, have you pleaded with God for mercy? Have you cried out to God for mercy? My prayer is that no one, young people, old people, would leave here today and not have cried out to God for mercy. Have you done this? Have you said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner? God wants you to do that today. He wants you to do that today. He wants you to cry out to Him for mercy. Lord, please, I am a sinner. I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what I've done and what I've left undone. I've not loved you as I should. Lord, I found your word boring. I've found church boring. I've, I've found you to be dead. You don't do anything for me. I get more out of my sports, out of my entertainment, out of my movies, out of this and that and the other. I get more out of this than I do you. You're so boring, oh God. Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Please have mercy on me. Please save me. Please open my heart to see your beauty, to see your glory, to see my sin. Please, Lord, have mercy on me and save me. Have you done that? Have you pled with God for mercy? Have you truly and seriously done business with God? You must do that, friend. You must do that in order to be saved. And when you do that, God will apply what He did for you on the cross. You see, we, we can plead with God for mercy and know that He shows mercy because of what God has done for us in Christ. That He sent His Son, Jesus, the God-man, who lived a perfect and obedient life, who never sinned, who never needed to cry out for mercy. He lived a perfectly sinless, holy life. He never needed to ask anyone to forgive Him because He never sinned against anyone. And then He died on that cross where He suffered the curse and wrath and judgment of God that we deserve. And he was buried, and on the third day he rose up from the dead. He conquered sin, death, and hell, so that all who repent and believe in him shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Friend, would you believe in him? You can't earn it, you can't work for it. You, you can't earn this by forgiveness. Don't, don't leave here today thinking Jesus is teaching that you can earn salvation by forgiving others. That's not what he's saying. We'll talk more about that later. You, 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 you must be saved in order to forgive. You must be forgiven and be amazed at the forgiveness God has given you in order to forgive. All you can do is simply receive by faith what Jesus has done for you. And trust in Christ. Trust in Christ. As 
Brother Anthony Austin told me this week, trust in Christ and never doubt, for He alone will get you out. Trust in Christ and never doubt, for He alone will get you out. And then when you trust Him, He transforms you. He transforms your life. He transforms your heart so that you can obey these uh, hard commands to forgive without limit because you've been so forgiven and you know the love of God in Christ for you and the mercy of God in Christ for you so that you can obey Romans 12, 19 through 21 by the power of the Holy Spirit united to Jesus with an eye to the cross and what God has done for you. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for the wrath of God for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Because of what God has done for us in Christ, we must forgive and we will forgive because we are sons of the living God. And that brings us to our last point, point number four. Because our Heavenly Father lavishly forgives us, we must lavishly forgive and we will lavishly forgive. Look at verses 35. Verse 35. Jesus tells us what this parable has been about. He interprets it for us. If, if you're wondering what it means, here Jesus tells us in His own words. Verse 35. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So Jesus makes it clear that the king who's angry, who turns this wicked servant over to the tortures, is representative of his Father in heaven, and his Father in heaven will do this to you, disciples, <laughs> if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. One commentator said this parable teaches that God is merciful and patient, but it also teaches that God's mercy has limits. Mm. That's interesting, because I've been saying limitless mercy. What is this? God's mercy having limits. How does God's mercy have limits? Well, again, brothers and sisters, Jesus said it. <laughs> I just deliver the mail. <laughs> Clearly, if you read what Jesus said, God's mercy has limits, because it ends with this servant being <laughs> tortured forever. God's mercy is limited to those who truly know, trust, and obey Him. God's mercy is limited to those who truly know, trust, and obey Him. If you refuse to forgive other people, your unforgiving, merciless heart is evidence that you have not really and truly come to know the living God. You have not truly believed in Jesus. You are not truly God's child by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And therefore, God's mercy is not for you. God has mercy on those who repent and believe the gospel. But those who refuse to repent and believe the gospel, God does not have mercy on. And in that sense, God's mercy has limits. God is not just going to save everybody. P people wrongly believe that, that God is just going to forgive everybody. No. 
People look at other people's lives. Oh, they're so sweet. They're so nice. They're such good neighbors. Friend, unless you repent and believe in Jesus, I don't care how good a neighbor you are, you are going to go to hell. And God's mercy is not for you. Because God's mercy is only for those who come through the Son. Who come through the Son. You must come through the Son. You must believe and trust the Son. And if you truly believe and trust the Son, you will show mercy on others. You will. You will not act like that wicked servant. You will have mercy on others because you know Him. And you can't know Him and act like that unforgiving servant. You just can't. It's impossible. It's impossible to truly taste the mercy and grace of God and then not forgive others. It's just impossible. You will forgive because you've been changed by His mercy. And you must forgive if you are a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, Jesus says, forgive from your heart. Right? So, so we can go through the motions, the outward motions, and say, I forgive you. By the way, I just want to highlight that. When you forgive someone's sins, don't just say, I'm sorry. And don't just let them say, oh, it was okay, don't worry about it, it's no big deal. To truly and biblically and rightly have forgiveness, you need to say, yes, I'm sorry for I, that I did this. It was wicked and evil and bad and I hurt you. And then you need to say, will you please forgive me? You need to say those words. There, there's a transaction. Forgiveness is painful, right? When, when I say, I forgive you, I, I'm in a sense bearing that pain of what you did to me and saying, I forgive you because God bore an infinite pain for me. And so I can bear this little pain. God took my terminal cancer. God, God took my, my beheading. God took my excruciating pain. How can I not forgive you for my mosquito bite? I mean, come on. That, 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 that's what this, this parable is, is saying to us. And, and, and so we should, we should use the words, will you forgive me? And the person needs to say from the heart, I forgive you. But we can go through the motions of those words and not really do it from the heart, right? You can say, I forgive you, and then under your breath, but we ain't talking. I ain't talking to you again. I, I forgive you because Jesus says to, but it, our friendship's over. I forgive you because the Word of God says I got to, but I won't forget. I won't forget. I'll never forget what you did. And you hold it against them. And there's a coldness in your relationship. That's not forgiveness. <laughs> that's mouth forgiveness. But that's not from the heart. And Jesus says from the heart. And again, Peacemaker Ministries is so helpful on this. They, they, they help us understand what forgiveness from the heart means with four promises of forgiveness. Number one, to truly forgive from the heart means I will not dwell on this incident anymore. I'm not going to dwell on this. You know, you can, you, one of the ways you can know you're bitter is if you remember everything that happened because you've ran it over like a movie in your mind over and over and over and over again. So you know all the details. What she said, how she said it, the look on her face when she said it. That, if you can remember things like that, you're bitter. I don't care what you say, you're bitter. 
The first promise of forgiveness is I will not dwell on this incident. And people who truly forgive a month later, they don't even remember what happened. What did, what did you do? I, I, I forget. Because it's over. They don't dwell on it. They've forgiven. Number two, I will not bring up this incident against you to use it against you. I will not bring up this incident again to use it against you. And so later on, when another conflict arises, you're not going to say, well, I still remember when you did this. And you just hold it over them. That's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. I will not bring this incident up again, and I will not use it against you. Number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not talk to others about this incident. And we in the church, we know how to do it in a holy way. It's a prayer request. I got a prayer request. I'm having a problem with this person. Can you pray for them? Can you pray for us? True forgiveness. I will not bring this incident up and talk to others about this incident. And number four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. That's forgiveness from the heart. That's what Jesus is talking about here. And we can do that again, beloved, because of what God has done for us in Christ. Ephesians 4, 31-32, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then I love this story as sort of the power behind forgiveness because this woman realized her great sin and realized how much she'd been forgiven and therefore she was head over heels in love with Jesus. You remember the story, Luke 7, 36 through 47? Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins, 
have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Do you see Jesus' logic there? Why does she love so much? Why does she love Jesus so much? Because she realizes how much he has forgiven her. Beloved, this is why it's good to be in a church that talks about sin and hell. You, you might think that's bad. Oh, he's talking about sin and hell again. What's the point of talking about sin and hell? So that you'll love Jesus a lot. Because you realize how much of a sinner you are. And how much of God's wrath you deserve. And realize He forgave you of all of it. All of it wiped away. So that you are amazed at grace. And you love Him much. And you forgive much. Because of what Jesus did for you. Jesus loved much more than anyone else in the universe. And yet he who knew no sin was made sin for you. And he was not forgiven. He was not forgiven for sins he did not commit. But he was condemned on that cross in our place. Remember in our text it says, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him. God had every right to hold all of our sins against us, and yet He held everything. He held all of our sins, not against us, but against His own Son. And did not forgive His own Son, but condemned His Son in our place. Jesus was turned over to the tortures. Jesus was turned over by an angry father, by an angry king, to the tortures. His own father tortured Jesus, his own son on that cross with the infinite, furious, flaming wrath of God so that we, so that you, beloved, will never be tortured by God in the fires of hell. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And God raised him from the dead so that we could be forgiven and then freely give forgiveness to all who sin against us, no matter what they did, and for as many times as they sin against us, we can forgive them from the heart. And we can obey Jesus' words in Luke 6. But I tell you, you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. We can remember the words of James 2.13, For judgment is without mercy, to one who has shown no mercy, and we go and show mercy. We can remember the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Beloved, what if someone senselessly and violently murdered the one person on earth that you love the most and you expected to spend the rest of your life with? Could you forgive the murderer? Could you love them? Even live with them and help them? 
I've been highlighting this biography by Ellen Vaughn about Elizabeth Elliot, and Elizabeth Elliot did just that. She, uh, her husband was murdered, and she not only forgave the men who murdered her husband, whom she deeply loved. I mean, she loved this man. <laughs> she loved this man when he was killed. She dreamed about him over and over again. She just wanted to die because she couldn't imagine living without her husband, Jim. Uh, the one person on earth she truly loved the most was murdered senselessly and violently, and she forgave the murderers, and not only that, but she took her two-year-old daughter in to live with the men who murdered her husband and shared the gospel with them and showed the love of Christ to them and helped them follow Jesus. And uh, in a video, uh, the, the biographer Ellen Vaughn was talking about what Elizabeth wrote in her journal, and I want to read this to you. 5.45 a.m., March 16th. I've just had one of the most vivid dreams ever about her husband Jim. The theme, the old, the same old song, Jim came back. She would dream that her husband was still alive. He and Pete and Olive, we were all in Moorestown, New Jersey going shopping. Jim was wearing his favorite coat. And she buries her face in his shoulder, holding on to him tightly. And she kept saying to them, I'm so afraid that this is just another dream. And they're saying, no, no, this is real. We're back. And then there's that same old discussion of how their bodies were found in the river. And it's like, no, we really are here. I could not keep my eyes off Jim. He was so handsome and cheerful as ever and felt so happy that I had decided not to remarry because he was back. We went into a restaurant. I was telling Jim about my dream and how I had called my mother and told her that Jim was back and he said, it's real, darling. This is really happening. And then I said to Jim in our dream, oh, darling, if this turns out to be just another one of those dreams, I'll just die. On that last phrase, my voice choked to a sob. And he put his arm around me and he squeezed me hard to reassure me that this was no dream. With that, I woke in the same hammock, the same gray mist, the same embered fire beside me, and the jovial voices nearby within the tribe of Dewey and Chemo, two of Jim's killers. Can you imagine that? having dream after dream of your deceased husband who you love so much and are so happy that he's back and then you awake to the happy voices of the men who killed your husband. And she forgave him and loved him and shared the gospel with him. Only Jesus gives the power to do that. Only Jesus. Jesus Christ the God-man commands us to forgive from our hearts all those who sin against us for as many times as they sin against us without limit, because God has lavishly and lovingly forgiven us without limit, an infinite debt of sin. Jesus cried, Father, forgive, then died and rose so you could live, and now forgiveness freely give. Forgive is what our Master did. His mercy heart cannot be hid. He cried for mercy, made His bid, while into death's firm grip He slid. And now because of what He did, God's grace from us cannot be hid. He crushed death's grip of sin. We're rid. All blessings flow. Now he'll, none He will forbid.
Christ had the most against us all. Our sins against Him piled up tall. Between us stood a wrathful wall against the God above a pall. And ever since Adam's great fall, we've loved our sin that treats God small. We've persecuted Him like Saul and treated with contempt and gall the One who is the all in all. Yet even in our sins so bad, that's made our infinite God so mad, all our sins to Christ He'd add and crush His Son. He's all God had. Now we will be forever glad with no more sin to make us sad, for with Christ's righteousness we're clad and God's our loving, patient Dad. Now trust in Christ and to Him flee. He saves by faith alone, no fee. And this salvation is the key to grant you a forgiveness spree. Oh, there behold Him on that tree. He loved and died to set you free. He cast your sins into the sea. And when this lavish grace you see, you'll love, forgive, and peace will be. No grudges hold, just sweet esprit, no matter what's been done to thee, all because the one in three gave up Himself upon that tree. Christ Jesus forgave the greatest debt. Like trillions spent with deep regret, He suffered grief with blood-like sweat, then took God's fullest hellfire threat and died so we no longer fret. Then He rose so we shall get eternal life, all pleasures met in Him, for He's our joy beget. So now when others sin and threat and hurt and owe us a great debt, we can forgive all and forget. Because of Christ, we're free and set to love by all the grace we get. For Christ is all our advocate because He's paid our every debt. Father, we do pray this morning that we would truly know and experience and feel in our lives the great mercy that You've shown us. That we would see the great forgiveness You've given us. That we would really get it, Lord, what You've saved us from. That we would see Your lavish grace, Your lavish mercy. That we would be amazed at Your great forgiveness toward us in Christ. And Lord, therefore, we would go out and be the most loving, merciful, gracious, patient, compassionate, forgiving people on the face of the earth. Lord, work that in us by Your Spirit more and more. And Father, we do pray if there's anyone here this morning that has never tasted the forgiveness of Christ, Lord, we pray that today by Your Spirit You would come down now and cause them to be born again and grant them faith and repentance. Lord, that they might know this lavish grace and love and mercy and know Your forgiveness and go out this day forgiving others. And we ask it all for Jesus' sake. Amen.